I think for me, it's harder to get dressed and put makeup on than set up a crypto account. Really? I hate getting like glammed up. Really? It must be all your years of ballet. Yeah, so probably something to do with that. Yeah, if I don't have to wear makeup, I really won't do it. Wow. I love the opportunity. I want to check your mic really quickly. Are you using your mic like this one? Yeah. Is it, is it is it not sounding so good? It sounds like your laptop. Oh does, really? Does you want? Oh, now it's good. I will just hold it like this, like a twat. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when you're a gypsy and you travel, and you mm-hmm. don't have a home. I know the feeling. <laughs> I think we should introduce ourselves because this is the first time that Sophie and I are doing video podcasts. Yeah, and, and I look like a fucking amateur. 2023 <laughs> is going to be a year for crypto girls. I hope so. I think it will. Yeah. I'm passionate. You're passionate. Yeah. I think that counts for something. I think our goal is just to explain things in a non-threatening way, inform everyone of the tea that's going on in the crypto world. And there's definitely a lot of it, particularly in the climate that we are in at the moment. Okay, I'm going to introduce Sophie. She is a lawyer. She's an ex-dancer. She's a yoga fanatic. (laughs) (laughs) I love crypto. I've been interested in crypto for a few years and, yeah, started off my journey from an investment perspective. And now I'm more just obsessed with the technology, obsessed with the drama that goes on in the industry and just riveted by this new technology I suppose if you want to hear more go to our first episode (laughs) and I'll introduce you this is Nikita this is my very dear friend we've known each other since we were in preschool where we had beef in Montessori but we've sorted that out now we've we've come together um Nikita's a economic student doing her master's at the University of Tokyo and she is slaying that so hard and Nikita's done coding. She's done a diploma in computer science and her undergrad was in geography and politics in international relations. So she's very well-versed. She's done a um, an internship at the UN under 20. Were you under 20? Uh, I think I might've been 19. Oh, you're bloody ancient. <laughs> <laughs> No, so she's very well accomplished um, and very well read and a fantastic partner to have in Crypto Girls. Thank you. And she's she's also a crypto fanatic. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I wish I could be into something a little less nerdy. I mean, blockchain doesn't roll off the tongue. Violin. She also (laughs) plays the violin, (laughs) which, you know, that's kind of hipster. Yeah. And you lived in Wellington for a while, so, you know, you're automatically cool if you live in Wellington. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think crypto it. is not, like, necessarily the coolest thing, but it has grabbed my attention for sure. What? You can't say that on Crypto Girls. I think crypto is very cool. I just think that there is a very specific market, excuse the pun, people who are interested, and it covers quite a broad gambit of, of people you know, you've got not gambit, ambit. Gambit's like a chess move. <laughs> yeah, there's people who, like me, would come at it from an investing perspective and not really see as much more than that. 
And then people who come at it from a tech perspective or a libertarian perspective or I don't know. There's just there's so many different aspects to it. But or the crypto girls perspective. The crypto girls perspective, which is where we all hope that everyone comes from. <laughs> making thing making crypto cool again. Which <laughs> <laughs> be our tagline. It's like the, that's like Mecca. 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 Yeah. Like Mecca, Mecca cosmetics. Crypto. Yeah, but like the anagram for the making crypto cool again is Mecca. Me- Mecca. Okay. okay, anyway, I, I digress. <laughs> but we should get a hat made with that on it. <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway, so this episode, we wanted to discuss one of the many scandalous happenings of 2022 in the crypto world. And we were talking about this the other day, is that we think that it's been a little bit overshadowed and, and not covered as much as in the crypto industry because of what happened with FTX. And, and I think a lot of crypto hacks and failures have been overshadowed by the the titan of FTX collapsing. And I can certainly say that we've been very captured by FTX, but it's good to go back and have a look at these things because at Crypto Girls, we're about protecting yourself from risk and operating in the most informed way possible. Mango Markets, it's very obscure. It's a very obscure platform, but hundreds of millions were stolen from Mango Markets last year. And mm. in the crypto world, it's so strange that things like hundreds of millions can basically disappear and no one talks about it. Whereas mm. if a co- like a company, let's say someone like Uniqlo went under, everyone would know about it. Yeah, sure. I agree. I think it's I think it's just a testament to how how difficult it is to create a like a totally secure decentralized entity but I suppose we'll get into that more as as we delve along but I think that leads us very well into explaining what actually the fuck is mango markets. Yeah. I'll give us a little spiel. <laughs> so um, mango markets is a defi trading platform which is governed by a DAO. And we're just going to stop right after that sentence because there's a few little nuggets in there, a few terms that, if you're new to crypto, may be a bit foreign to you. So we'll go first with DeFi. DeFi stands for Decentralized Finance. And basically, that just means that it's an online platform which operates and giving financial services, which is run by a decentralized entity. And what that means is that there's no central figure. So this one's governed by a DAO. So that's the other sec- that's the second term. DAO stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization. We have a whole podcast about DAOs with one of the leading world experts on DAO and the legal aspects around around DAOs. I think the only thing that I would add is that a DAO is governed by smart contracts. And so it's like a self-fulfilling computer prophecy, a self-computing, <laughs> self-fulfilling computer code, whereby if the members of the DAO vote on a specific thing that's in the smart contract, they have a certain percentage where uh, like 50% or above. And if 50% of the DAO, 51% of the DAO votes for a protocol then that protocol will will act out mm-hmm. um so that's it's very it's very conceptual at this stage but as we just begin to explain mango markets this is just one example of a DAO. there's there's many different DAOs out there and what we learned from alex sims is that some things that are called a DAO aren't necessarily a DAO. but i think mango markets from my perspective falls 
under that definition pretty well. But yeah, so Mango Markets, DeFi trading platform, decentralized finance trading platform, which is governed by a DAO. And it was built on the Solana blockchain. And that doesn't mean that it's a Solana product. There's lots of different blockchains um, that you can use to build other, other products, other codes on top of. Ethereum was the first one to do it famously, <laughs> but there are other blockchains that, that people can use to to roll out their own projects. And basically, Mango Markets was used by quite, I would say, proficient crypto dealers um, who wanted to trade futures or spot trading. Um, so quite complex crypto trades or lend or borrow crypto. So it's not kind of like your like your easy crypto where it's just buy and exchange crypto from fiat to crypto. It's a little bit more complex than that. On that and- note, um, I've heard that Celsius was kind of like an easier. So Celsius was a DeFi platform as well. Mm-hmm. And that was like slightly easier for novices to get into whereas mango markets is like a little bit more advanced so you kind of have to know a little bit about code and a little bit about like like DeFi and in its nitty-gritty state sure um to be able to use it so um is that because of the way that the interface is set up or what's the reason for it being more difficult to use yeah i think because you can also download it and interact directly with a blockchain instead of just interacting with a website, which is what mm-hmm. most people do. So I guess to kind of give a visualization of what's happening, because blockchain is very conceptual and it's hard to kind of picture what's going on. Sure. Um, so the trading platform was essentially, you know, if you've ever seen crypto bros or tech bros or finance girls like have their big screens and they have all these like bars and things and they're trading like a million graphs and they're like doing buy and sell orders that's essentially what the trading platform looks like on mango markets you can (laughs) leverage quite a lot of money and make a lot of money if you're good at it and or lose a lot of money if you're bad at it the dow is you can actually access it on a website called Realm. So if you just Google Realm, you can like look at the DAO organization. You can see the proposals they've been voting on. And so Realm is like connected with the Solana blockchain. And you can also see that there are a ton of other DAOs on this website that you can just like look at because everything with blockchain is public. You can really just see like what they're voting on, what has happened, what hacks have happened, the exact timestamps like what addresses voted because it's not people voting it's wallet addresses voting yeah sure i think that's what makes crypto so interesting is that if a company is breaking down you often well pretty much all the all of the time i'd say you're shielded from 90 percent of the the stuff that goes on but when you have a DeFi platform it's all publicly available public knowledge you know what they're voting on you know what they're talking about you know how much money they've lost because it's all publicly recorded um and though yeah i suppose it's pseudonymous in the sense that people's wallet addresses are being used so you might not know exactly who is voting on what um if you didn't know who owned the addresses it's all all of the the big macro stuff is out in the public domain which is pretty pretty juicy yeah (laughs) i do say so myself i think a good thing to mention at this point as well is that um for this for this dow in order to be 
a part of the voting structure, you had to own Mango Coin, which was the native coin of Mango Markets. Um, and you you could speculatively trade Mango Coin, but its purpose, um, its primary purpose as a coin was to be a governance token. And so uh, the way that voting in a DAO works is you kind of vote with your feet and you can use the cryptocurrency that you hold. And the more cryptocurrency the hold, you hold, the more powerful your vote will be. So if I held, held 10 Mango Coins um, and Nikita holds 100, she can vote 10 times as, as much as me, I suppose. So there's there's definitely issues with, uh, I suppose, equality in DAOs. But in, in this situation, I suppose, it, it kind of operates similar similarly to like a, a stock in a company, a share in a company, um, which you know it, it's interesting, and I think we'll get to the, to that point later at, at legally how that might play out with with what's happened with mango markets. But um, just just an aside there should give a bit of context as to how the mango coin works. So mango markets was set up on the Solana blockchain, um, collateralized lending DeFi company. Um, and there was a man by the name of Abraham, Abraham, Abraham Eisenberg. I'm very Avi. sorry. Avi. Everyone called him Avi. Avi. Which I think is actually oh, a really cute name. That's a very cute name. That's a lot easier than I'm, I shouldn't butcher his name. So we'll just call him Avi Eisenberg. Avi. Uh, Avi. <laughs> She's so cute. Maybe I'll name my child Avi. <laughs> and then when they ask what they're named after, you'll, they'll think they're like a, a demon child. <laughs> But anyway, so Avi Eisenberg kind of had like a bit of a reputation already as being a bit of a prolific hacker, um, but there is a bit more nuance to the way that he conducted his hack of Mango Markets. So I talked about before how uh, Mango Markets allowed users to conduct futures trade and trades, and they, the, uh, I don't know if I really want to talk about like nitty gritty what futures trading is, but I suppose I have to for this. <laughs> what Avi did um, was he decided that he wanted to conduct a futures trade. Um, and so he created all of these accounts on different exchange platforms and bought up a whole lot of Mango Coin. And what this did to the price of Mango Coin was it drove it up because basic su- supply demand laws. And while uh, after he'd kind of driven this price up, he very quickly took out a collateralized loan on a different coin on the Mango Markets. I think it was USDT. Um, mm-hmm. he took out a USDT loan and used his mango that he held on the mango site as collateral. And at this stage, uh, the mango value had jumped up to about 90 cents, um, 90 US cents, which is pretty high. And this was kind of after he had pumped, pumped it up by just increasing the demand hugely. And then after he kind of had pumped up the, pumped up the coin, he decided to conduct his rug pull. So because there was no demand inflowing for Mango, there was a very quick rise and a very quick fall in the value of Mango. And it ended up being two US cents from 90, which is a pretty significant um, rug pull. And what happened with Mango markets is that upon this coin plummeting in value, his collateral wasn't worth that much anymore. And so he couldn't afford to repay his margin for the loan that he'd taken out. And so Mango foreclosed his account and took the collateral. 
um, there's a few, there's a lot of problems with this, but Eisenberg's claim was that he didn't actually manipulate, he didn't actually manipulate the code because he used the code as it was supposed to be used. Um, and he very infamously posted on Twitter and I quote, statement on recent events. I was involved with a team that operated a highly profitable trading strategy last week, <laughs> which is, I suppose, a very interesting way to put it, but it's clearly um, a technique from him trying to, to dispute any liability that he might have. And then this is the, this is the T, the next part is this is where the Dow comes in, um, which I think Nikita, you could talk to about what happened with the Dow post him. Basically, I actually didn't say the amount that he managed to siphon out. He managed to siphon out $116 million worth of crypto from this debacle. <laughs> US dollars? US dollars, yes. Damn. Mm. Nice. So with the Dow, I, I don't know even know if we're talking about the same like Dow situation that went on afterwards because from what I heard there was a like a questionnaire like whether he should be held legally accountable mm -hmm. for this hack it's, it's, it's not really it is a hack and it also isn't like he's not doing anything outside like Avi is right he he didn't do anything outside like what the code permitted so mm -hmm. is this really a hack I guess it's like a hack like lifestyle hack you know it'll be interesting to kind of break this down when we talk about the legal things before but I do understand the argument that very strictly speaking he did what the code allowed him to do he didn't break any break any rules so so can you cover what happened with the Dow after Avi Eisenberg hacked the mango markets yes so there's kind of two aspects to this, which I think are interesting. The first, um, so basically after this hack in quotation marks occurred, because I suppose, I suppose it is a hack, but whether it's an illegal hack or not is, is left, left in the, the ether, if you will. Um, so the Dow basically put it to, I put a proposal to itself, um, as to what, whether, uh, RV would be able to, um, keep a proportion of the money that he hacked um, in return for returning most of the money, identifying the bug that existed in the code and absolving himself of any liability that the Dow would want to pursue against him in the future. Um, and so the Dow basically had two votes. The first one fell over because they need a certain threshold for the vote to pass. And the second vote overwhelmingly said yes we will we will allow him to return the majority of the money for the promise of no criminal prosecution or pressing of charges and i think there were there were 473 million votes in favor of the proposal and 16 and a half million against the proposal so an overwhelming majority there nikita discussed before with me that 32 million of those votes would have been oh would they have been um are these because he's his collateral was seized of mango yeah i don't, I don't know that would be a good thing mm. to investigate in the future yeah so essentially the, the proposal passed um and avi got to keep 47 of the 116 million that he hacked which 
I don't know. For me, it, it, it seems excessive. And the second part that I thought was really interesting that I wanted to talk about was the bug bounty that exists in a lot of companies. So um, this is something that I learned uh, when I was researching this case specifically, but I think it's a pretty common thing for DeFi companies to have a bug bounty whereby they will reward hackers for identifying bugs in the system. So if they manage to steal over this is this is mango markets policy for a bug bounty is that uh if you steal a critical what they've deemed to be a critical amount of of crypto by identifying a bug in the system they'll reward you with 10 percent of value of your hack so this kind of was the category that rv's conduct fell under but his proportion of that he paid back to the dow was he kept so much more than 10 percent of his hacking Mm -hmm um he he kept it like what 70 percent or something like that 47 47 million of 116 million god i'm not a maths girl but (laughs) okay so that's like basically half pretty much half um and you know enough to live a a decent life in the countryside (laughs) with your wife and kids that might satisfy me (laughs) (laughs) and it wouldn't be too bad for most of us but yeah I I just thought that was an interesting um interesting aside and and something that I learned researching for this case is that obviously if you're a hacker and you're reasonably proficient and you and you kind of want a Robin Hood job you could make a decent amount of money trying to hack um well crypto companies but I'm sure that this protocol or this policy exists beyond I know that people do it to banks but whether they're officially contractors or <laughs> yeah not, well the interesting thing is that mango markets has a discord and for people who don't know what a discord is it's like a slack or basically like a whatsapp it's just a messaging message messaging so messaging messaging yeah Mes- mes- <laughs> <laughs> messaging service that um a lot of like gamers actually use and now a lot of like comp side people use it and he posted on the discord on on the mango markets discord that there was this bug and he posted this a week before he hacked it and i think what happened is that he discovered that he like he was able to exploit a lot more Mm. um by actually hacking the thing than trying to get this bug bounty Mm. and and he, yeah, he went through the hack. And another interesting thing to note is that Avi is a self-described applied game theorist. <laughs> yeah, I saw that and, too. <laughs> yeah, so he obviously calculated the payoffs and thought about it. What was the ultimate payoff? Mm-hmm. Um, like what's the ultimate profit he can get and what are the risks involved? Mm-hmm. And someone else did this, someone namely called Sam Bankman Freed and Caroline Allison. <laughs> and they're both heading to jail to- for a long time. So, <laughs> guys, theoretical economics, theoretical game theory is not real life. <laughs> mm. I think it's just so, it seems like it's so easy to just get caught up in, in the rush of things as well. When I mean, it must be incredibly exhilarating to discover a bug that you could exploit for hundreds of millions of dollars in a system. I mean, that that would feel God tier, I can imagine. So maybe mm-hmm. it's just people's, people's minds running away from them as well. <laughs> 
putting bias on the game theory. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the game theory does teach you to be very selfish. Like you have to be very pragmatic, but it completely ignores like the human condition. Mm, yeah, that's about like true. emotions and and many things. It's very hard to mathematically evaluate emotions and how people feel and how prosecutors are feeling about certain things so Mm. well absolutely and I think the SEC and CFTC are kind of out for blood at the moment and particularly since the uh, FTX crash I think that was a bit of a stab to the ego of um, gosh what's his face the SEC chair Gary Gensler (laughs) Gary Gensler, Gigi. Yeah, well, he was Gossip Girl. Yeah, Gigi, Gossip Girl, undercover. Um, But yeah, he was pretty criticized for the FTX fail, which I don't know if that was necessarily fair, but um, I feel like it makes sense that they would be out for blood for other hackers of other crypto um, empires where they can, with where their resources will allow. And uh, for a hack of 116 million US dollars, it seems like the resource um, payoff would be enough for them to pursue this, um, which wasn't obviously a calculation that Eisenberg took into consideration when he bargained with the Dow, because as the SEC and the CFTC, um, you can take char- uh, lay charges against an individual or a company or anyone you like, really, and it doesn't matter which deals you've made in a DAO or not they have jurisdiction regardless so I think that kind of leads quite nicely into the whole (laughs) (laughs) Sophie you should be taking my game theory exam next week oh my god no oh I would do (laughs) that was a good that was a good summary (laughs) so talk us through like the investigation like because Eisenberg recently got arrested. He's been arrested a few times. I don't know. Mm. I just let Sophie deal with all the legal stuff. <laughs> well, actually, it's interesting that you've brought up that he's been arrested a few other times. I do know that he had a bit of a reputation for being a hacker, but I haven't delved into his other arrests or reprimanded reprimanded actions. Like I don't know. I just months. saw that he was like arrested in December and then again in January and then like five um, or six or seven days ago they were like charged him. I don't really know the difference between arre- being arrested and being charged. So just take what I say with a grain of salt. I, <laughs> I, I'm not a criminal lawyer. But I believe the difference between being arrested and being charged is that if you're formally charged, they are uh, they are identifying a particular criminal provision, which they are they believe that they have the requisite evidence to 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 convict you in a court. So, uh, and when you are being arrested, I suppose that they have interrogation rights um, and they can hold you if if necessary if 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 it's deemed necessary for safety or yeah I think that's a good question I mean legally I won't be able to give you the exact right answer but those are those are distinctions that I can make just from just from the word go but he was recently charged by the SEC um, for market manipulation and I'll just break down what market manipulation, the provision in the US says, um, and he's been charged in the state of New York. The market manipulation provision has two aspects, like any criminal criminal matter. And the first is mens rea, which we all know and love from Legally Blonde. Um, Wait, what? Mens rea. So mens rea is the mental element, whether 
someone intended to do someone something, whether they were reckless about something, whether they were um, whether they were willful in their conduct. Um, oh, it's like in the intent thing. Yeah, so that's yeah, exactly. Intention right. is the highest element of mens rea, so it's uh, the hardest to prove. So with with murder, I mean, there's different degrees of murder. Of course, there's there's you know, murder is maybe not a good one, but um, <laughs> the more serious a criminal charges, the the higher the mens rea has to be. Some some criminal offences you you don't need any mens rea for. So if I parked my car on a space in the in on the street they wouldn't need to prove that i had intention to do that because it's it's a strict liability claim which means that there's no mental element so there are some criminal offenses that don't have this tied to it but the more serious you get the more mental uh premeditation or um, intention is required so for this my illegal parking is definitely premeditated <laughs> i think most people's are but they don't care they're just they're gonna slap you with whatever they can so i think they know that everyone does it on purpose so they just <laughs> just doing it's enough <laughs> basically right anyway i got so many people out of parking tickets in uni <laughs> but that's um that's another story for another day but okay <laughs> I'll tell you I'll tell you after this podcast I'm not giving out any free legal advice but <laughs> <laughs> okay for you I will <laughs> for friends I will um but anyway back to market manipulation so that's what he was charged with by the SEC yes yeah, so the first element mens rea the mental element what is intentional or willful mis- willful conduct designed to deceive or defraud investors by controlling or artificially affecting the price of securities. So that's a bit of a mouthful, but I think the important phrases to take away here are intention or willful conduct. Um, and so those are the those are the elements of mens rea that they've they've stipulated for this crime. Um, and then defrauding investors by controlling or artificially and affecting the price of securities. That's pretty straightforward. Um, and then there's, there, there are two other that's so that, that last part's the actus reus, the, the physical act, which they've done. So there's the mental element and the actus reus, which is what makes up a crime. (laughs) So there are two elements to the market manipulation offense. There's the mens rea, which is intentional or willful conduct. And then there's the actus reus, which pertains to the physical act, um, which is, I know, quote, designed to deceive or defraud investors by controlling or artificially affecting the price of securities. And I think the really interesting thing to point out here and will inform a lot of what goes on in the trial is that this provision specifically calls out securities. So one of the big debates legally in crypto at the moment is whether cryptocurrencies fall under the realm of commodities or securities and the interesting thing is the cftc the commodities futures trading commission in the u.s have also taken uh have also charged eisenberg so it seems like to me the cftc and sec in this case are grandstanding to try and figure out where mango market specifically sits within this commodities security spectrum but also maybe to set a precedent for future cases as to what a securities crypto token looks like as opposed to a commodities crypto token. It's commodities securities. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And Eisenberg is in the middle. They have. He ha- they, he is. 
And I don't really feel particularly sorry for him because I think he was a bit conniving in the way he went about things. And I think that if it was a woman hacker, it would have been a little bit more sophisticated and maybe she would have just, you know, cut her losses and taken the bug bounty. 10% of 116 million is still 11.6 million. So like, babes, come on. (laughs) But he also probably wasted a lot of money like pumping up um, the mango token. So his, his takeaway was probably... Less. I don't know. Maybe just don't commit crimes, guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how this plays out uh in court because obviously the the SEC and the CFTC can't both succeed because of the small matter of <laughs> uh crypto token not being able to be both a commodity and a security. But if you want my two cents on what I think, Mango Coin we talked about earlier as a governance coin. And so the ownership of it allows you to vote for protocols in a DAO. And to me, that sounds very similar to, to how securities operate. So if you bought a stock in a company, you have voting rights, however diluted, however insignificant, you do still have rights in that company. And you and I don't think Mango Markets would ever pay a dividend, but to its, oh, I suppose maybe it would. I mean, it's DeFi. Probably some interest, something like that. Yeah, that's true. But I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I think, yeah, when you own a stock in a company, you have voting rights, you might get a dividend depending on what the constitution says. Um, and so I think Mango token sounds a little bit more like, uh, you know, governance rights, voting rights. That sounds a little bit more yeah. like a security to me than just a transactional thing. Um, it's which- less like, a, it's less of a barrel of oil. Yeah, 100%. So yeah, for something like Bitcoin, um, it, it seems like that's quite clearly in the commodity category and that's where all, what, all the kind of guidance is said. And I think the CFTC has even said that Bitcoin is 100% a commodity because you are just trading it. Owning Bitcoin doesn't get you any special rights to a special club, um, whereas a yeah. lot of other tokens do have those rights attached to them. Yeah. So that's really interesting that the two um security like it's the two commissions mm. are going after Eisenberg mm. and the other thing I wanted to cover is I think just one last thing mm. is that there's a debate where the code is law so a lot of people like we mentioned in the start that mango markets is fairly complicated and so people who do like people who go into mango markets surely know that they're signing up and it's going to be risky and that you know that they can lose all their money and mm-hmm. I assume that like 99% of them they're not like everyday traders they're not like mums and dads investing a little bit of bitcoin on FTX it's like a different situation this is a bit like a really it's like going into a casino and mm-hmm. complaining that you lost all your money mm-hmm. like people knew this was risky mm-hmm. and I think that's also why it got a lot less media attention. It's it's just because it, it is like a little sketch from the beginning. Yeah. And it and is so, smaller scale, I suppose, than FTX and amongst many other hacks that have happened this year. So it makes sense. Yeah. So the Eisenberg is using the argument that he just did everything within the realms of the code. Like mm-hmm. there was a fault in the code and that's not his problem. Mm-hmm. And what jurisdiction does the US have over like what's happening in this random like crypto space 
like something I should look up is where is Mango Markets incorporated? Is it even incorporated? Who knows? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I mean, the US is taking charge on a lot of legal prosecutions with crypto and stuff. Mm. Maybe just because they have the resources or because they want to be like first movers. Mm. But it is a really interesting question. Like what kind of right do they have over crypto? Yeah, that's definitely a question for me to research. Um, Where is Mango Markets headquarters? Mango Markets is located in Solana, Misamis, Oriental Philippines. I love how it's like located in Solana. How like Gucci well, is that? That no, because the guy who founded Solana, he named it after his favorite beach. Oh my gosh. Which is Solana Beach. I didn't know it was in the Philippines, but now I really want to go to the Philippines and visit oh this gosh. beach. Yeah, then we then you can have like a pina colada on Solana. <laughs> Oh, funny. Oh, wow. So that's There's obviously a just fact. a joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think it is interesting that if uh, they might, there will be an American entity, I would say, if, if the US are taking legal action. Um, but I think that if you're going to run a website in the US, you'd have to have an incorporated company there at least. They could be doing it on the basis of that people in the US were affected, like people. I really don't know what grounds they're going. They're going yeah, what on. standing they have. It is it is a really interesting question. But they um, obviously have some kind of standing because otherwise, you know, yeah, they wouldn't be coming after him and wasting all his their time when they have Sam Bankman Fried on the loose. <laughs> hundred percent well actually that's a good question for me to research yeah I suppose it's just you know when you're a law student you you're really on one side of it you're looking at the reaction to the crime or the reaction to the civil action you're not looking at what's usually you don't really look at what standing um the prosecution has or the the contract holder has to prosecute I mean I did do international law but we didn't really cover stuff like like this I don't know it's interesting it's a lot more interesting in the digital age I think because things are a lot more globalized now yeah but and wait till we start owning property in space what kind of jurisdiction I know yeah. imagine in Decentraland and in space in Mars space law maybe that'll be my in another life <laughs> I think that kind of sums up what's happening with mango markets mm-hmm. a lot of it is TBC <laughs> yes there's a big question mark hanging over like a gray cloud over mango markets should we just do thoughts and opinions like what do you think do you reckon like throw him to the dogs he's an absolute a-hole and he deserves to get put in jail and to have his profits disgorged i i don't know honestly i'm really conflicted because i think that his arguments are correct and I also think that if we keep using this argument that code is law in the Mm. blockchain space then there's so many there's so much shit that can happen in the future and and I don't like coders are still trying to figure things out and smart contracts aren't very robust yet and so in the next 10 years it could just open up a whole lot of like 
gaping holes and people can just get exploited and get away with it. Yeah. So I don't want to be like Eisenberg can go mm. and and then have this happen again and it be worse. Yeah. And more like innocent people are affected. Like I don't want that to happen. Mm. So on one hand, I can understand why the SEC and S- CFTC. SC- CFTC want to go after him. Mm. Yeah. Um, I think there needs to be a balance of like coders law and like ethical law. Yeah. It's you make such good points. And I think there's definitely it'll be case by case and it will be so dependent on on what the hack is and who's done it and why they've done it and and what knowledge they had when they were conducting the hack. But it seems very calculated. I mean, we've kind of I didn't really think about it like this until we've started talking about it, but it seems very calculated that he, instead of taking a a bounty, um, a hack bounty, he decided that he was going to manipulate the Dow and bargain for more chips than he was kind of allocated, I suppose. And that seems very, very calculated. And yes, maybe he didn't breach the code. Maybe he didn't, he maybe he used it as, as it was designed. Um, but I still think that there is a big chasm between using the code as it's designed and intentionally defrauding a complete like a whole protocol out of hundreds of millions of dollars and knowing exactly how to do it and exactly that it's not the intended use of that that Mm. system and yeah I don't know I think I think throw him to the wolves he needs to be I mean if he's not made example of it's just it just opens up the industry for more people doing doing similar things and, and getting away with it I suppose and and walking off with a whole lot of other people's money well there you go. It'll be really interesting to see how it plays out. And I was watching a video this morning, um, doing a little bit of final research. And the the guy was talking about how he had 10% of his net, like worth, 10% of his worth tied up in mango markets. And he's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's all gone now. He's an Aussie bloke actually. Um, mm. And he lost, I think a similar um, percentage of his net worth in Celsius. So hasn't had a lot, a lot of luck. But he seems pretty nonchalant about it. So I think that's really, honestly, if, if you're trading in these kind of systems, that's the way you've got to be. You have to go into this knowing you can lose everything. And honestly, mm-hmm. like some of these platforms are really, really sketchy when they're promising like high returns and mm-hmm. high leverage and stuff. It's kind of like. Yeah, there's no such thing as get rich. Work. <laughs> Yeah, it is. You're essentially walking into a casino, so no one's going to be crying for you if you lost ten thousand in think, Macau. Yeah, I think it's it's just like an educated gamble, I suppose. Because they're trading shit coins, so yeah. it's not really. Oh uh, like, yeah, I suppose that's so true. I don't know. It's just like maybe, day traders. Let's just say that if you're a man watching this and you're a day trader. No, I don't have to say that. Anyone watching this in your day trader, like, what the fuck is a support? What the fuck is a feeling? And you're single. Maybe there's a reason. <laughs> you're just worrying too much about your dead cat bounce. You can't. You can't. No, I can't say that. I mean, would you be with a day trader? 
meh. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> oh, I don't want to say that there's not much intellect behind it, but I'm like, how can there be? You're what you're looking at a graph and it's completely theoretical. It's like <laughs> I've watched YouTube videos about it before and he's like, yeah, like you just got to look at like the previous support and just figure out like, you know, where the trends are coming from and that. like, I don't know, actually I probably shouldn't because I'm just going to start sounding stupid, but like just looking <laughs> at patterns, like pretty patterns that don't really have any mathematical, like, I don't know, maybe I'm just looking at the wrong videos. I don't know. Maybe it's just a stereotype. It's like a stereotype, like the crypto bros. Like crypto bros are so. We've got to get a day annoying. trader on the pod now. Yeah, break down stereotypes of day trading. That's actually a fucking gangster podcast idea. Because okay. I don't know if they will be able to do it, but like. <laughs> Challenge. If you're a day trader, message us, email us, Nikita us at cryptogirlshq.com. I'm so willing and to we be might proved get you wrong. Podcast. I would really love to love day traders, but just to me, I don't really understand like whether there's actually any informed sentiment behind it. <laughs> Very nice <laughs> to speak with you all today, even though it's kind of a one-way thing, but we just really feel like you're our audience and you know, I actually can't. <laughs> going to cut that out. Okay. Thanks for listening to our podcast on Mango Market. See you next time. We will be covering lots of scams in this quarter we're not becoming a scam podcast I don't want to become a scam podcast Sophie but like yeah we do need I think there's just so much stuff that's happened Mm. and it's the best way to learn about crypto so Mm -hmm. we're just going heads in if you don't understand everything that's okay neither do we (laughs) don't say that we've lost all credibility